Hello, this is Grace and welcome back to U.S. History Cracked. This is part 5, episode 3, where we will be talking about America moving into the city. So in previous episodes, we talked about the industry coming of age and other important details that happened post-Civil War and according to their development. We went into corruption during those times as well as many many different trusts and economic hard times. Today, we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to be talking about America populating the city. So as you may know, before this era, people used to live on farms and they used to make money or usually small families ran farms to produce their food and make their money. However, in the 1870 to 1890s, we can see the US population growing and growing and at the same time, cities were also developing. So by 1890, the U.S. population doubled, and more so, the cities tripled. This grew from small, compact, and walkable cities into huge metropolises that required commuting by electric trolleys. So before you see these tiny, almost like village-like cities that grew into huge ones where you can't really get around without transportation. It was actually a pretty advanced city. They had electricity, they had indoor plumbing, they had telephones, and all of this made city life more alluring. Moreover, Theodore Drazer's novel, Sister Carrie, also made city life more alluring through the story of a woman's escapades in the big city. So you can see even literature is starting to evolve around the idea of city life, and it's attracting a lot of farmers and other workers that live in rural areas to come start a life in the urban area. There were also department stores, like you may know Macy's or Marshall Fields, and they provided urban working class jobs and also attracted many shoppers. However, the move to the city produced a lot of trash and unsanitary conditions. Because now you think about it, they start to foster this kind of throwaway culture of which we might also have today. Since, you know, farmers and workers that live in rural areas, they don't have many resources to use, so they reuse their resources, which is really, you know, beneficial for the environment. But here in the city, they produce a lot of trash and it was unsanitary because they would throw things away instead of reusing them like at the farms. There were also things called areas called slums and dumbbell tenements. And these were basically packed with people and were very unsanitary. And just think of like a shelter where people would just, you know, live there together because they don't can't they can't afford a proper shelter in the city. These are kind of like on the outskirts of the city where it's kind of just around the city but not in the city at all. Now let's talk about the new immigration. In the 1880s, Europe and Britain immigrants were quite literate and accustomed to some type of representative government, and they were known as the old immigration. So these people were quite similar to Americans because they did receive education, and they also had a similar type of government. However, in the 1880 to 1890s, there was a shift to Baltic and Slavic people of Southeastern Europe, and these people were basically the opposite of the old immigration, and they were known as the new immigration. So they were not accustomed to some type of representative government, and a lot of them were not literate. By the early 1900s, up to 60% of these immigrants were uh, composed in America. Many Europeans came to the U.S. because there was no room in Europe, there was no employment, and industrialization eliminated many jobs. 
So really the last chance or the last hope they had was to move to America to start a more affordable and more fun life and a more happy life because in Europe they can't afford anything, they don't have employment and there's no room for them to stay in Europe. But with America's large land and many opportunities, a lot of Europeans were attracted to come to the US. However, many immigrants came, but then they stayed for a very short period of time before returning back to Europe. Those that remained tried very hard to retain their own culture and not be, you know, not be influenced by the American life. However, the the immigrants, the children of the immigrants, however, embraced American life. You know, they grew up American and in America. Now let's talk about some of the reactions to new immigration. So we talk about a lot of people coming into America, but what do Americans think about that? First of all, the federal government barely did anything and immigrants were supported by quote unquote bosses. So in the last episode, we talked about Boss Tweed, and this guy, he provided jobs and shelter for political support at polls. Basically, he was someone who was really corrupt, and he was part of this organization called Tammany Hall, and they gave out certain privileges or certain help in order for them to gain votes. So for example, if, it's, if you're a new immigrant, you're definitely going to be looking for a job and shelter. So Boss Tweed would provide you with job and shelter if you, if you provide an oath that you will support him at polls. Gradually though, the government noticed the slums and people also preached something called social gospel. And this was the idea of insisting that churches tackle the burning social issues of the day. So basically, what I'm trying to say here is that slowly the government and other organizations like churches are starting to realize, you know, the negative effects of immigration, as well as some of the negative conditions like the slums. Jane Addams founded Hull House of 1889 to teach children and adults the skills and knowledge that they would need to survive and succeed in America, so basically like an immigration help center of their time. There were other settlement houses that, um, there were also centers for women's activism and reform. Although this was looked down on a lot. So basically, in this time, because there's need for help, a lot of people set up different settlement houses and settlement setters in order to help people, you know, um, spread their activism and also educate children and adults of the necessary skills to survive in America. New cities gave women opportunities to earn money. Now, let's talk about some of the negative reactions. Nativism, if you remember, and anti-foreignism of the 1840s came back. So in the 1840s, there was heavy negativity towards new immigration because they were mad that the Irish and the Chinese were stealing their jobs. The Germans and Europeans, which are the old immigration, looked down on the Baltics and Slavs. They're, you know, they're basically saying that, look at them, they're mixing our blood, which will ruin the fairer Anglo-Saxon races, and it will, it's going to create inferior offspring. So this is definitely a very controversial and negative outlook on the new immigration, but it was a lot of how the old immigration viewed the new people, the new Southern Europe, Europeans that are coming into America. Americans also blamed immigrants for the degradation of the urban government. Trade unionists also hated the immigrants for their willingness to work at such low wages and for their dangerous doctrines like socialism and communism. 
So obviously, workers want to earn more money, right? But these new immigrants, they come here and they're really willing to work at a very, very low salary. And this is going to mess up a lot of the current American workers because they are they don't want to work at such a low wage and it's going to be hard for the Americans to survive because the companies and other companies and organizations are going to be giving out lower wages. There are also anti-foreign organizations like the American Protective Association and they were basically against all aspects of new immigrants. In 1882, Congress passed the first restrictive law against immigration. This banned criminals and convicts from coming to America. But unfortunately and very discriminatory, it also barred the Chinese from coming into America as well and this was known as the Chinese Exclusion Act. In 1885, there, was a, there were more laws in place, especially a law that banned important, uh, the importation of foreign workers, and this was also passed in 1885. Finally, literacy tests were also resisted until 1917. And all of this is really funny because ironically, the Statue of Liberty came in 1886 from France as a gift, and to me, I don't see much liberty for immigration here. So that was something that was really ironic. And it was a fun fact because I personally did not know that the Statue of Liberty came from France as a gift. So that's a new fact for you if you haven't known that already. Now let's talk about churches confronting the urban challenge. The churches failed to rally against urban issues and people began to question the ambition of churches. Like are they really trying to help us or what is their goal in doing all of this? A new generation of urban revivalists stepped in, and this included people like Dwight Lyman Moody, and they basically are a new perspective on how we can improve urban life and improve urban revival. The Roman Catholic and Jewish faiths were also gaining many followers with the new immigration. And by 1890, the United States could choose from 150 religions, including the new Salvation Army, which tried to help the poor and unfortunate. So we can see how religiously we are, America is growing as well because of immigration and because of this freedom of religion. Now let's talk a little bit about Darwin and some different theories and philosophies. In 1859, Charles Darwin published his On the Origin of Species, which was basically setting forth the new doctrine of evolution, and this attracted a lot of fury of fundamentalists. So as you may know, um, since I mentioned this in previous episodes, a fundamentalist is basically a religious movement which is characterized by strict belief and literal interpretation of religious texts. So they believe, they believe religiously in the Bible and they believe that everything written in the Bible is true so that the world was created by a creator. However, Charles Darwin published a book or a series of books which basically talk about the doctrine of evolution, of human evolution. And this obviously is going to make a lot of fundamentalists mad because they're claiming that the creator is what created the universe. Modernists also refused to believe the Bible was completely accurate and factual. This group of people had the philosophy that the Bible was merely a collection of moral stories and guidelines and not the sacred scripture of God. You can just see that there's many different conflicting viewpoints at that time regarding religion and regarding how humans came to be. Colonel Robert G. Ingersoll declared that creationism 
was wrong. So creationism is basically saying that the origins are divine, are spiritual. He's saying that creation is wrong. So once again, just different ideas in, the, in those times in urban life as well. But another important point at in this time is the lust of learning. There was a new trend in creation of more public schools and the provision of free text, which was funded by taxpayers. It's kind of similar to what we have today with our taxes. In 1900, there were 6,000 high schools and kindergartens also multiplied at an increasing rate. Catholic schools grew in popularity as well. And there was another movement launched in 1874 that included public lectures to give people you know, knowledge and inspiration. This was given by famous people. So they would deliver speeches and lectures publicly to anyone who would listen. There was also faith in formal education and they thought that this was a solution to poverty. But how about in the South? How about education for the blacks? In the South, it was war-torn and very poor, and they definitely lagged behind in education, especially for blacks. Booker T. Washington was an ex-slave, and he started by heading a black trade school in Alabama. However, he avoided, he avoided the topic of social equality, since he believed blacks helping themselves first is more important than gaining more rights. Basically, he's saying that he first wants to educate the blacks on how to save themselves and help themselves in this free country before he teaches them about how to gain more rights than before. George Washington Carver was one of his students who discovered hundreds of new uses for peanuts, sweet potatoes, and soybeans. And this is definitely very interesting because it's one of, and it's in a famous black, a famous black man who has discovered all of these things. And it's really funny because we've never heard of George Washington Carver. W.E.B. Dubois was the first black to get a PhD from Harvard University and he demanded equality for blacks in action to happen right away. And so he founded the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP, in 1910. So we can see how the blacks are starting to also climb through the education and pursue some of their own goals and own dreams. Colleges and universities sprouted after the Civil War, and there were also colleges for women that were gaining ground. Colleges for both genders grew, especially in the Midwest. Black colleges were also established, such as the Howard University. The Morrill Act of 1862 was a generous grant of the public land to the states for support of education, and this was extended by the Hatch Act of 1887, and it provided federal funds for the establishment of agricultural experimental land. There were also many private donations that went toward the establishment of colleges. Now let's talk about March of the Mind. There was an elective system of college and it was gaining popularity and this took off especially after Dr. Charles W. Eliot became the president of Harvard. Medical schools and science were prospering after the Civil War and there were many discoveries found by Louis Pasteur and Joseph Lister. William James helped establish the discipline of behavioral psychology. So he created a whole new field of study called behavioral psychology. Now let's talk about the appeal of the press. 
and just some information about you know the newspaper, the magazines, and a lot of literacy as well. Libraries such as the Library of Congress opened across the United States and it brought literature into people's homes. In 1885, there was the invention of the linotype, and this the press would help this would help the press to keep pace with the demand of the consumers, but competition for the press also sparked a new brand of journalism called quote unquote yellow journalism. Yellow, yellow journalism reported on false or exaggerated stories of human interest, such as gossip of you know celebrities or famous people or famous events. There were two new journalistic tycoons, Joseph Pulitzer, Pulitzer and William Randolph Hearst. Magazines partially satisfied the public appetite for reading, and the most influential magazine was the New York Nation, which was launched in 1865. And all of them were liberal, reform-minded publications. So just, just some background information about the press and we'll, we will be looking at how the press is going to be even more significant in the future and in the upcoming years of American history. After the war, Americans also devoured quote-unquote dime novels and these novels depicted the Wild West and other romantic and adventurous settings. There were other authors that wrote books about rags to riches that told virtue, honesty, and industry were rewarded by success, wealth, and honor. So once again, it's just reinforcing that American concept of rags to riches and the American dream. Walt Whitman is a very old writer that remained very active and he published different versions of his, of his book, Leaves of Grass. Emily Dickinson was a famous poet that uh, that published her poems after her death. So she became famous after her death once her poems were published. Mark Twain a very, was a very famous writer and a very significant writer in inspiring Americans. These are only some to name a few of the many, many other writers who wrote about various aspects of US culture and life, whether it be California's gold rush stories or the Wild West, whether it be poems about life in urban areas to the Civil War times. There's, there's topics ranging from the Civil War all the way to the gold rush, and all of these stories were depicted through fiction and short stories. Now let's talk about the new morality. So sexual freedom and birth control was becoming more popular, but at that time it was still very unpopular. So there's still some shifting perspective, but at that time it was still extremely unpopular. How about families and women? So urban life was stressful for families because everyone was often separated and had to work, which is what they're not used to. Unlike us today, where we go to school and our parents are at work, it's different for them because they used to work on farms where they can be with their family almost all the time. But in urban life, that's not the case and they're often separated, as mentioned before. And in the big city, it also doesn't make sense to have big families because that would mean that there's going to be more mouths to feed. And unlike the farm, it's not as easy to gather all that food to feed all of those mouths. In 1898, Charlotte Perkins Gilman published Women and Economics, a classic feminist literature book. And it called for women to abandon their current status and contribute to the larger life of the community through productive involvement in the economy. It's basically saying, you know what, give up your domestic fear, come work in the workforce. 
Feminists also rallied for suffrage, and they formed the National American Women's Suffrage Association in 1890. The women's role finally shifts. They start working more, and they also realized suffrage to be more desirable. And we're nearing the end of this episode, and to finish off, I'm going to be talking about prohibition as well as entertainment. In 1869, there was the National Prohibition Party, which showed concern over popularity and the dangers of alcohol. And at that time, prohibition was starting to become more relevant than it was in previous years. And if you have, if you know the book *The Great Gatsby*, *The Great Gatsby* is surrounding a time of prohibition in American history. The next, last thing I want to talk about today is business of amusement. So people realized that it was necessary to be entertained, right? They can't work all day. They also need to have entertainment. For us, it may be Netflix and chilling or playing video games, but for them, it was you know com- comedy or wrestling and football games or you know playing sports. So at that time, there was a guy called Phineas T. Barnum who was very famous in the entertainment fields. Circuses and Wild West shows were also super popular and attracted a lot of popularity and attention. Wrestling and football also gained popularity as well. And in 1891, James Naismith invented basketball. So if you ever wonder where basketball came from, it came from America. So to conclude our episode today, I'm going to go through a short summary of the important points that we talked about. First of all, the demographic changes. Remember moving into the cities, how it was like for them to move from rural to urban. You know the unsanitary conditions and how we require commuting. And the next thing to remember are the immigrants that were coming in, the old immigration and the new immigration, as well as some of the reactions of fellow Americans. Was it negative? Was it positive? Or was it a mix of both? And why was it like that? Finally, we have to understand the city city life. So people moving into the city, it was the first time where people moved into the city pretty seriously. So there's going to be a lot of changes in the city life and a lot of development and pro- progress in city life. So all in all, I hope that you were able to learn something new through this episode where we talked a lot about urban life and moving into the city and immigration. Please stay tuned, and I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.